Good morning, everybody. I'm John. It is so good to see all of you here on this uh, week before Christmas. Can you believe it? Are you ready? Four of you are ready for Christmas. Awesome. Well, hopefully by the end of today, you'll, you'll be uh, filled with some Christmas joy. That, that is our hope. Well, we are so glad that each of you are here. And again, we want to say, uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, we just want to pray that you feel uh, loved and encouraged in this place. We really believe that it's no accident that you're here. Like, we don't just say those words. We, we really do. And uh, believe that God has something personal uh, to say to you, one of the things I believe that God wants to say to you is that there is a really big football game this afternoon. I know that begins at noon, and so I'm anxiously watching the clock for God's team, the Bears, to destroy the Packers later on today. So, guys, maybe I got some of your attention there, okay? That's, that's exactly. So, uh, yes, uh, so that, that is exciting. And here's the thing about football, and I was thinking about it uh, this week. We've had a little lull before the, the college bowl season starts, and you watch some of these football games, and the fans are just crazy. I mean, you'll go to the, you'll watch the, the Bears and Packers game, and there's, it's, you know, zero degrees at Soldier Field in Chicago, and there's guys that don't have a lot of clothes on and really should have clothes on uh, the way that they're uh, wired up by God, and uh, they have some things painted on, and they're just crazy. People go to these games, why? To watch the game. They go to watch people on the field, and, and at Lambeau Field where the Packers play, they have the Lambeau Leap, right? And so I'm, those tickets down there are so expensive because when a player scores a touchdown and runs through the end zone, they do the Lambeau Leap, and they jump up into the end zone, and they get caught by some of the fans up there, and they pat them on the head and bang them in the back and stuff like that. And the whole thing is built around this premise of you go to the game or you sit at home, like many of us do, and watch the games to watch the players play the game. And just imagine, and maybe you've heard me say this before, but I think it's important to remind ourselves in a season like this. Imagine if you paid $1,000 to go watch the Bears and Packers play, and you got there, and you were so stoked, and you couldn't wait. And then you get there, and you're in your seat, you've got your hot chocolate, you've got whatever painted on your belly, and you are ready to go, okay? And you, you came to see the game, and both the teams come running out of the, the locker rooms, and they're excited, and they're pumping each other up, and they're doing chest bumps, and they're running into each other, and everything's great. And then they go to their respective sidelines, and they huddle up. And they, they huddle. And they keep on huddling. And the coaches keep talking, and the players keep huddling. And 10 minutes goes by, and 20 minutes goes by, and 30 minutes goes by, an hour, and they're still huddling. They're not playing the game. That's not what it was created for. You're like, what? This isn't why I paid the money. And the same is true in our faith. There are certain times I think we get into ruts in our faith where we are very content huddling. Because how silly would it be if, as Christians, we came together for about an hour once a week and huddled? And never played the game. And I, that's what I believe that God is calling us to and challenging us to today. Some of you, even if you're new or if you've been around for a long time, doesn't matter. Some of you need to start playing the game. Some of you need to get in there. Every time that Jesus gives a command or says something in the New Testament, it's action-oriented. It's go. It's do. It's get out of your comfort zone. It's stop playing it safe. It's go and make disciples. Go and be my witnesses into the whole world. That's what we're called to do. And I just want to encourage you. We, Andy and I are joking. It's like the marathon announcement month here in December. There are so many things going on. And just in case you missed it, 
we would really, really love for you to get in the game. I know it's, you can be so busy this time of year and you're finishing finals and you're getting your Christmas shopping done and you're getting your house ready for f- friends and family. Serve. Don't miss the point of the season. Give. That's why we do these things because these are real families with real needs. And I can't tell you how much it, it blesses the refugee families. Just spend $5 and get something that'll, that'll rock their world that'll make their Christmas and and go help deliver them or help serve the soup supper that we're going to do here on Christmas Eve. We're going to open it up to the community. Any of those things, we would love to have you be a part of those. It really hit me this morning. We had our our children's ministry uh, Christmas program here this morning, so you missed the lions jumping through the flaming hoops and the fog machine, and sorry, uh, I have to wait till next year. But uh, I was standing in the back, and you may or may not know we pick up at some uh, women's shelters for single moms that have kids. And they're a part of our Hina Quest. And obviously, because they've been traveling around from shelter to shelter, they don't probably ever have seen their kids in a Christmas program. Well, those of us that grew up in the church, this is just normal, right? When you're a kid, you're put on the Burger King hat and you're in the kids program, right? You're a wise man. They've never seen that before. And I'm standing in the back and I'm just watching one of the moms over here and she's just bawling. And all her kid is doing is shaking a bell, (laughs) kind of to the tune of Silent Night. And she's just bawling. And I don't know, God just reminded me, like, what we do really makes a difference. Like, do you know that? Like, we don't just do missions for the sake of missions. Like, it's changing people's lives. So I just want to encourage you with that. Maybe today is the day to get off the sideline and stop huddling as a Christian and get in the game. And play the game. So there's your pastor soapbox for the day. I'll 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 get off that. But um, I just wanted to encourage you with that. I, I'm I'm so excited about what God is doing here, especially with the kids. Our children's ministry is growing. Our nursery is growing. I don't know if you know this, but just in this last week, Monday through Friday, we had four new babies born into the Hope Des Moines family. So praise God for that. That's really exciting. Yeah. Uh, that's not counting the few more to come in the next couple months and the several that we've had in the last few months as well. So we're ramping up the nursery and ramping up the baptisms here. It, you know it's been a busy week as a pastor when you've been to the maternity floor in the hospital four times and two of those times were in the exact same room. So yeah, the two babies were born in the exact same room. So we think they're destined to get married. So we're, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an arranged marriage. It's biblical, we think. We think that's good. So we're, we're really excited about that. But as we've been talking to all these parents and my, myself and Tiffany as well, being expecting parents as well, we've been having all these conversations uh, with these parents about all the changes that, that is going to come with a baby. And the, the overwhelming theme of all of our conversations, whether it be uh, you know, uh, changing schedules or new bedtimes and new eating habits or how in the world do you fold a diaper? I'm going to need some help with that. Lord have mercy. Um, All these things, the overwhelming theme is the baby is going to change everything. The baby is going to change everything. And that's not just true for those of you that are parents or that have had small children. Nothing could be truer during Christmas. The baby changes everything. We're in the third week of Advent, and we're in this season of the church where we're waiting and anticipating not just a baby that's going to change a few lives, but a baby that's going to change everything. God in flesh. And so today, we're going to take a little break from the story. It's still 
in the Bible, but if you've been here, you know that we've been in uh, this story, we've been reading through the Bible as a church, and it turns out this is chronological. So you know the last few weeks, we're still in the Old Testament, we're not going to skip through the prophets, but actually the way that the story works out, the actual Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke is in February. That's when we'll get to it. So we're going to celebrate Christmas again in February. Isn't that exciting? Pretty fun. We'll have the kids come back, do the program all over. Um, But we're going to take a little break from this, and we're just going to hop into the Gospel of Luke today. So we'll pick this up again on December 30th when we're back after Christmas. But today, we're going to take a step back. And what I want you to imagine is that we are standing at the cradle. We're standing at the manger here in Bethlehem. And if you could, just get out your fake remote control. Everybody just kind of go like this. Get out your fake remote control. You know how to do that. Okay. What I want you to do is just hit pause for a second. Okay? Hit pause. Here's this random teenage girl and her uh, husband, Joseph, and God as a baby. Now, you might be wondering, how in the world did we get to that point? So now hit rewind, if you could, with me. Just hit the rewind button. And we're going to hit rewind from the manger, and we're going to go all the way back here. Okay, hit pause so I don't keep walking. Okay, good. So now we're back here in the town of Nazareth. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how did we get from there to there? And we're going to go back to a time when nobody had heard of Mary and Joseph. Who are these people? And so if you would, we're going to travel back in time to Nazareth. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today. would love to see everybody uh, with a Bible out today. And, and uh, like we said, take that home if you, if you need one. That's our gift to you. This isn't any ordinary story. And so to kind of set it up for you, I want to give you a glimpse into the life of an ordinary teenage girl named Mary. Let's take a look. Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. She was growing into a teenager and was living then in the obscure village of Nazareth in Galilee. She gathered the grain during the day and tended the lamp laid into the watches of the night. Her father knew the dedication of her work, her mother the kindness of her heart, her friends the curve of her smile. She stood on the threshold of womanhood. Among all the girls in the village, she had been noticed, chosen, betrothed, a child bride before whom lay only possibility. Her father could walk with pride in the city gates. Her mother could rest in the comfort of her daughter's future security. But then he came, unexpected, unannounced, spoke openly and without shame of pregnancy, virginity, and a son, things men never discussed and women only whispered about behind closed doors. She questioned him about the particulars, but not about the promise. She knew the prophecies, and the angel's words rang true. She would be scorned and rejected labeled it an adulteress in whispers and glances. There would be no more carefree walks to the market, no more happy trips to the well. Four hundred years her people had waited for hope, but God had been silent. Now he had spoken. The wait was about to end. Forty weeks, and then Emmanuel, God with us. 
that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what does. It seems to me like a pretty cool movie trailer, right? Like you're watching TV and that comes on. It's like, it's this new epic movie called Christmas. And who would you guess is the director and producer of this new epic film? God. The God of the universe is the director. And who does he choose to be the lead actress in the greatest story of all time? Well, we're about to find that out. So, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, and we pick up the story there. In the sixth month of of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so Elizabeth, remember, is Mary's cousin. She lives in another town. Uh, Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist. So God sent the angel, angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So I want you to take a look up from your scripture for a second. Just kind of take a step back. That's what's going on down here on earth. In the heavenly realms, there's something else really going on, something pretty dramatic that just happened. Imagine if you're the God of the universe. You're all-powerful, all-knowing. You have all resources at your disposal. And for thousands of years, you've been planning and and strategizing, how am I going to rescue my people? How am I going to break into their lives? How am I going to come from heaven to earth? And so if you're the angels, you're probably waiting for, okay, God, how do you want us to do this? What's going to happen? We've heard there's this big plan. And then the day finally comes. And so they're up there, and they have a a little staff meeting in heaven, and God calls all the angels into the conference room uh, there. And all the angels are excited, and they're all chatting, wondering what's going to go on. And God says, okay, today's the big day. I got the plan. I am going to reveal the big reveal of how I am going to come from heaven to earth and save the world and rescue humanity. And this is how it's going to go. And all the angels are like, oh, great. We're going to have a big battle and we're going to get our swords out and we're going to have this great big army and we're going to overthrow Rome and it's going to be great. And then God says, you ready? And everybody's on the edge of their seat. And God says, this is how I'm going to do it. This is my master plan for saving the world. I'm going to become an infant and be born completely helpless and weak and completely dependent on a 16-year-old teenager. And that was probably the reaction of all the angels, right? Crickets in the room. What? God, what are you thinking? You're God. You can do anything. And this is how you're going to save the world? I was reminded, I think a year or so ago, Adidas, uh, the shoe a sport, sporting company, came out with this new slogan. And I have to imagine when the angels asked God, what are you thinking? I would imagine God said, the same thing I always am. Nothing's impossible for me. Nothing is impossible for me. The word impossible to God is Nothing. From a human vantage point, yes, but from his perspective, absolutely not. If he can be born into a virgin's womb, he can do anything. And so that's what God sees, but Mary sees something completely different, and that's what we see. So I want you to go from your heavenly perspective back down here to the earth and consider the circumstances surrounding Mary. The first thing we know is that Mary is from Nazareth. Nazareth is bigger now, but at the time in the region of Galilee, Nazareth was really small. Not a lot going for Nazareth. 
it reminds me of, uh, I, was, I grew up in a town called Story City, which is about 50 minutes north of here, which is about 3,000 people, so pretty good-sized town, if you know what I'm saying. So, but north of there are the really small towns, and one of my favorite small towns is Randall. Anybody heard of Randall? Randall, Iowa? Wow. I should have known. Okay, so Randall's is a really small town, uh, a couple hundred people probably, and uh, Randall's one of those towns, small town in, in Iowa that if you blink, you might miss it going through, like you go across the train tracks and you're like, okay, I saw it, or I missed it, whatever you happen to see. The big new tourist attraction when I was growing up in Randall was the Coke machine on Main Street. So that's the big deal there in Randall. Uh, so you can imagine, pretty similar to Nazareth. Needless to say, Nazareth doesn't have a lot going for it. So that's one circumstance. The other circumstance is that Mary's not only a woman, she's a teenager. And in, in that society, you know, as we've talked about in some of these stories, women were way down here on the totem pole of society. If you're not connected with a man, you don't have a lot of security in life, which Mary was, but how many 16-year-old girls do you know that really have life figured out? Not a lot, right? Some of you have had 16-year-old girls, and you're like, right? But Mary's 16. Such a strange person to be the mom of a king. And so... On the surface, it looks like Mary is the most unlikely person in the most unlikely town, in the most unlikely circumstances to save the world. And I have to believe that on several occasions, in the quietness of her own heart and in, in the quietness of the night, Mary's just laying there thinking, I wonder if this is the way things are always going to be. These circumstances around me, I, I wonder if this is it. I mean, I'll, I'll probably marry Joseph and I'll provide him with some kids and they can go work in the fields and this will pretty much be my life. I'll go out and I'll harvest the grain during the day and I'll, I guess, keep the candles burning at night. I think that was her job. And you thought your job was boring, right? She stays and watches a candle burn, okay? And I have to believe that Mary at some point thought this is just the way things are. And I wonder if sometimes we don't think the, think the same things in our life. Whatever circumstances you find yourself in today, do you ever, with your job or with relationships, even your relationship with God, do you ever find yourself wondering and thinking, maybe this is it? Maybe this is all there is to life, just putting in my time and, and doing what I need to do and just surviving and getting through to the next weekend. Just get me through another week. Maybe this is the way things are. And even in our relationship with God, maybe we think, oh, this is, this is what it means to be a Christian. I show up in this gym once a week, and I worship, and I read my Bible a little bit, and I try to be a good person. And if we're not careful, we can put the God of the universe, who says impossible is nothing, and we can put him in a box and say, this is who you are. This is my current understanding of what it means to follow God. Therefore, this is what God must be like. And I think that God says to each of us today, if I can show up in the womb of a 16-year-old girl in the middle of Podunk, Nazareth, in the middle of nowhere, what area of your life do you think that I am incapable of breaking into? Your finances, your love life, your relationships with your family, whatever it is in life, God says, do you think that that's really impossible for me? I just, I said it at the beginning, I am watching God change lives all over the place here. So many of you, I've heard these stories, and, and especially with some of these folks that, that come early for Breakfast Club, I had three people tell me today, 
I would not be where I am if God had not intervened. They would be dead. They would be strung out. But they're here eating sausage with us. (laughs) Praise God. Praise God. Nothing is impossible for him. And he comes and he wants to transform us from the inside out. And I just wonder if we fall into that lie sometimes. But for Mary, everything was about to change. So back to our story, and we're going to pick it up in verse 28. It says, the angel, t- the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Verse 30, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now, I like to look at these Bible stories and I like to take God very seriously, but I like to take the writers not so seriously. And I just get a little chuckle sometimes when I read these because I think Luke is kind of giving Mary a little bit of a break here. Because I don't know about you, but if I saw an angel of the Lord, I don't think that I would say, hmm, I wonder what kind of greeting this is. I don't think that's how I would respond, okay? Because we have this certain image of what angels are like when they appear to people, and I think it's a little bit more on the left, okay, than on the right, okay? So what is the thing that angels always say as you read through Scripture? What do angels always have to say when they appear to people? Do not be afraid, right? If they looked like that, why would they have to say, do not be afraid? I'm not going to kill you, right? If they looked like that, I think Mary would have said, oh, can I change your diaper for you, right? <laughs> That's not what they're like, okay? That's not the image we see. In the Old Testament, there's, there's history and record of one warrior angel of God destroying an entire army of 10,000 soldiers by himself. I don't think Chubby Cheeks over there is capable of doing that, Okay? Now, we don't know, exactly know what these angels look like, but probably something a little bit more like the right. It's actually a painting that a famous artist has done of the archangel Gabriel. A little bit more like he just walked out of Lord of the Rings or something like that, okay? So you have to be a little humorous here and understand that I think maybe more of a modern translation that Mary was saying is, and Mary freaked out, okay? Big time. That might be a little bit more accurate to the story. So I have to imagine that after Mary picks herself up on the ground from the shock, she is thinking to herself, what in the world is going on? So first of all, that shows up to her. The guy on the video was kind of creepy. Just ignore that. I don't think angels look like that. Something more like that, okay? So not only does the angel show up, but then secondly, he drops this on her. And we pick it up in verse 31. By the way, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. So he will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give you the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, again, I think the proper response that that Mary probably had, the one that a lot of us would have, after getting told that you are going to be the mother of God, I think a lot of us would look at Gabriel and say, Right. Good one, Gabe. Now, tell me what you really came for. And Gabriel says, no, that's it. Haven't you heard God's new marketing slogan? Impossible is nothing. That's how it's going to happen. So I'm guessing that Mary picks herself up off the floor from shaking in her boots and maybe 
wetting herself or something. I don't know what happened, but if that shows up. But then watch this response. Mary says this in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Not the average response of a 16-year-old girl. There'd be a lot more shrieking involved, I think. So the story continues, and Mary actually goes to Elizabeth, her cousin's house, who's also expecting. And Elizabeth encourages her, and Mary has some time to think and process. And then Mary gives these, speaks these words, this, this worship, this poetry that's known as the Magnificat, which is one of the most beautiful pieces of biblical poetry that we know that's been set to music over the centuries. And it starts like this. And let's read this together from verse 46. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. The first thing I want you to remember about Mary is that she was completely ordinary, just like us. And the second thing that I want you to know, and this might want to write this down, Mary knew how to rejoice in the unknown of life. Mary knew how to rejoice in the unknown. Notice I didn't say Mary rejoiced for her circumstances or because of them. She rejoiced in them. When Paul says in the New Testament, rejoice in all things, he doesn't say rejoice because you're in these bad circumstances. He says rejoice in them. And that's what Mary is doing. She is rejoicing. And you have to remember the circumstances. Mary had no idea what was coming her way. She's probably an excited little girl that says, well, I'm pregnant. Woo, I'm going to have a baby. Never mind, she doesn't realize there's, gonna, there's not going to be any mommy and me sing-along classes for moms who are giving birth to gods, right? She doesn't know what she's getting into. In fact, not only that, can you imagine what Joseph is thinking? Mary is a unwed teenage girl who's pregnant, not by her fiancé. Anybody from a small town and you know how things just get around? This is out of the can now. And if you're Joseph, what an attack on your integrity. Joseph has been an upstanding, godly man his whole life, and all of a sudden Mary comes back from her trip from Elizabeth, and she's clearly pregnant. What? Can you imagine the conversation between Mary and Joseph, right? Joseph's come up, he probably has tears in his eyes, and he's heartbroken. He's like, Mary, like, I chose you out of all the women because you were godly, because you were pure. And now you come back, and who's the father? And here's this little teenage girl going, uh, the Holy Spirit? Uh, maybe not, right? I don't know if that's going to fly with Joseph. At this point, Mary's life has taken a complete detour and is going nowhere. In those days, you get stoned to death in in the town square for being an adulteress. Remember when Jesus saved the woman caught in adultery? How ironic that his mom was in that exact same position. Ever think about that? I know Jesus is full of love and compassion, but maybe when he met the adulterous woman later on as a grown man and he saw her laying there, he thought, that could have been my mom. And he had compassion on her. That's Mary's story. Completely 
unideal circumstances, but yet she chooses to rejoice in the most unideal of circumstances, the most difficult circumstances. It didn't take her awe away from God. And I wonder, I just want to ask you this morning, when is it ever going to be enough for you? When will the circumstances in your life ever be enough that you can say, now I can have joy? Now I've got my ducks in a row. Now I've got the dominoes perfectly lined up. I've got the perfect job and the perfect house, and I found a spouse, and I'm, now I'm filled with joy. I wonder what God wants for us is to find joy right here, right now. I'm not talking about happiness. That's dependent on circumstances. I'm talking about right now, whatever's going on in your life, can you have a deep, deep soul-level joy? I believe that's what Mary had in the midst of everything going on. But this time of year, Mary's not the only one that learned how to rejoice and have Christmas joy in the midst of completely unideal circumstances. One of my favorite theologians, I think, did the exact same thing, and his name is Buddy. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Now, if, you th- if you've ever seen this film, it's called Elf. Buddy the Elf is from the North Pole. And some of you might be thinking, where in the world is this coming from? Well, let me tell you. This great uh, biblical story of Buddy the Elf, it's very biblical if you think about it. He's born in the North Pole. He thinks he's an elf, but that's not where he's from. And so his, the head elf, who he thinks is his dad, is not really his dad, tells him that his real father is in New York City. And so elves belong in the North Pole. They don't belong in New York City. And so later on in the movie, Buddy the Elf travels to New York City, and you'd think this is the most unideal of circumstances. What a difficult time this elf from the North Pole is going to have finding joy and getting around New York City. But I think if you watch closely, Buddy the Elf will teach us something about finding joy in the most difficult of circumstances, completely unknown to him. Let's take a look. Wow. Have you ever seen somebody get so excited about a ginormous toilet? But what do you do when you're in a world where everything is unknown to you? If you'd never seen an escalator before, how do you, how do you handle adversity? And I think that Buddy can teach us something about that. And I I wonder, where's your joy? Can you have joy today in the not yets of life? Where things are not yet where you want them to be? Where's your joy? Now, I'm not suggesting that we all dress up like elves and and walk around town. And although I would like to see some of you try that on an escalator the next time you go to a mall. I would pay to see some of you dress up like an elf. Some of you in tights. Um, But... Anyway, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about deeper joy. I'm talking about when you get to a place in your life where you realize, you know what? Things are never going to be perfect. So like Buddy the Elf, I'm going to try to make the most of what I have around me. And I'm going to have fun with the size of toilets and running around in a revolving door. Can you find joy in the simplicity of life? Or does it have to be perfect? Where's your joy at? these days. When when did you become jaded? When did you become skeptical of life? When did you feel like life burned you to the point where you feel like life owes you something? You know what's really, really exhausting? Being bitter. 
You know what's really exhausting? Being jaded, cynical towards everything. You know what's really exhausting? Always being discontent. Never finding community. Never finding a church home. Thinking, oh, it's got to be perfect. It's got to have this and this and this and this. Some people, do, what they do with spouses is what they do with churches, is what they do with small groups, is what they do with community. It's never good enough. And you get to the end of your life and you wonder, oh, I guess I missed the point. I guess I missed the joy that was all around me if I could just take my blinders off. So what I'm not saying today is suck it up. I'm saying let go of trying to make life and force it to be a certain way. Now you might think, okay, John, that's great. Mary rejoiced in her unknown circumstances. She's Mary, right? She's like a Bible hero. She's God's son. I think God gave her some extra, you know, joy juice, you know, just to kind of get her through, right? And, And you might be saying today, you have no idea what I've been through. Yeah, we can say that, and that's a cute little thing from the Bible story, John, but you don't know what I've been through in my life this year. You don't know the circumstances. You you don't know what I've had to deal with in my family. You don't know what I've been through. No, I don't. But he does. And he's the God who comes to us today and says, Come to me, all who are weary, all who are tired and worn out, and I will give you rest for your souls who comes to us even in the most difficult of times in our lives and says, I am close to the brokenhearted. I am close to those who are crushed in spirit. That's the kind of God that we have. And that's what Mary knows. Mary knows the God that asks us to be called Daddy. When we come to him in prayer, he says, just call me Daddy. Just crawl up on my lap and talk to me about it. That's the God that Mary knew. That's the perspective that she had. I don't know if you remember when we started the story, I said every story in the Bible has an upper story and a lower story. Everybody say upper. Everybody say lower. Every story has two different stories. Whether it's happening on this earth or what's happening up in heaven, there's an upper story and a lower story. The upper story is what God is doing in the heavenly realms. It's, it's his vantage point, what he can see. The lower story is what we can see, what, what Mary saw. Just This is the circumstances. And, and a lot of times we live life like this with our blinders on. And we don't look around us and we don't look up to say, God, what, what are you telling me about my story? Maybe what you're experiencing in your life right now is not it. Maybe there's so much more and God just says, look up, (laughs) look around you or you're going to miss the joy. The last thing I want you to know about Mary is that she embraced the upper story. Mary knew that it wasn't just about her. We get perspective in this life when we realize that we're not the center of the universe. I hate to break it to you. But none of us are. And Mary knew that. She knew she was a part of a much bigger story of the entire Old Testament was leading up to this point. All all the lineage of David and Jesus came down to her. And she embraced that. The last part of the Magnificat, um, she goes into that. She, She says this in verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary knew the upper story. She knew this wasn't just about her. 
God's been faithful, and she realized maybe God's purpose for my life is not that I would just be happy all the time, but that I would learn to trust him and find joy now. Right now, here, today. Which is certainly a difficult thing to believe on a week like this. It's been a really, really difficult week for our nation. And of all weeks, you might be wondering, John, why in the world are you preaching about joy? Seriously, do you know what's going on in the world? Yeah, I probably watched a little bit too much TV the last couple days. Read a little bit too many stories about these terrible tragedies. And as Christians, we find ourselves at times like these, whether it's in Oregon or Connecticut or across the world, and innocent children losing their lives, we ask questions. Death does that to us. Death stirs something in us. And as Christians, one of the things we love to do is we love to to give quick answers. We love to stick a Band-Aid on it and say, oh, well, this is why God wanted that to happen, or or, or God God needed them more than we needed them. Oh, please never say that. That's nowhere in the Bible. We love to give these quick, trite, shallow answers, and the truth of the matter is it sucks. We live in a broken, messed up world, and sometimes there are no answers. We don't know why the gunman walked into the school. We don't know. But we do know this. Evil is real. Death is real. Darkness is so real. But so is the light. But so is the light. And especially this time of year, we're reminded the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's why we can sing and rejoice today. That's why we can laugh at elf clips today. That's why Mary can rejoice. Why? Because the baby changes everything. Because 2,000 years ago, God became flesh and was born inside the womb of an ordinary teenage girl to say nothing is impossible for me. The light came into a dark, dark world, but that baby did not stay a baby. That baby grew up to be a man, a man that walked this earth who knows what it's like to experience despair and sorrow. Your God stands at the funeral of one of his best friends named Lazarus. We read this story in John 11. He's standing at a funeral. The God of the universe and the shortest verse in all of scripture, it says this. Jesus wept. The God of the universe wept. You're going to hear news media and television anchors and all these people for the next couple weeks saying, where is God in all of this? Right right in the middle of it, weeping with those families, completely in control. That's where your God is. Heartbroken, close to the crushed in spirit. And that's why we can rejoice today, because he knows. He knows what it's like to love 
God knows what it's like to watch his own son die brutally on a cross. He knows what death is all about. And our God stared death in the face. We have to claim that truth today, and you have to know this. God did not take those kids and those teachers from us, from their families. God does not take anybody. Death took them, and Jesus takes death. Because death will never be the end of the story. Because the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will never overcome it. And we claim that truth today that the Apostle Paul speaks in Romans chapter 8, especially at a time like this, especially during Christmas. We claim this truth that Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, For I am convinced, not just here's a little suggestion for the difficult times of life. He says, No, I'm convinced. If I know anything, it's this. That nothing, neither death, nor life, nor angels, or demons, nor powers, nor principalities, nor things in heaven, nor things on earth, nor things in the past, or the present, or things to come, nothing in all of creation, God says, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the truth that we cling to today. That Jesus Christ lived, died, rose again, stared death in the face, and says, oh death, where is your sting? That's the gospel. That's what Christmas is all about, and that's why we can celebrate, because we know the upper story. We know there's more to the tragedies that we experience around us. Is it real? Absolutely. And we will weep, and we will mourn, and we will cry, and we will sing. And we will rejoice, even in the midst of it. Now, you might be thinking, that's great, John. You're the preacher boy, and so you can say things like that. Every year, every time of year around this, this time of year, kind of after Thanksgiving and before Christmas, I, it just becomes so real to me. I, the closest person I've had uh, pass away that's been close to me was my grandpa a couple years ago, just a couple weeks before Christmas. And so this is very real. And some of you know this, but um, he lived on the same farm his entire life for 87 years. Uh, 60 of those married to my grandma. (laughs) I I think I know my wife well after three. I can't imagine 60. Holding hands through all of life and all of a sudden, gone. The, The chair next to her is empty. I don't think there's anyone in this room that hasn't been affected by death. It's just a very real thing in our lives. And so I'm trying to be a good grandson. So uh, a couple weeks ago, I was thinking about my grandma, and I said, oh, she might need uh, a little pick-me-up, a little, a little cheer. And so I called her up uh, a couple weeks ago, and um, I'm thinking, <laughs> after everything she's been through, <laughs> why does she even give a rip about Christmas? If anybody has a right to be cynical or jaded, it's her. Why would God take my lifelong companion two weeks before Christmas? Seriously? So I'm expecting her to just be bummed out, lonely, moping around her house. So I call her up and I say, hey, Grandma, how you doing? Oh, fine, she says. I said, Grandma, what are you doing? She said, oh, I'm just, can't do my grandma voice very well. Oh, I'm just sitting here in my chair, you know, relaxing, resting up a little bit. I said, okay, that's strange. Why are, why are you resting? Are you tired out? She said, oh, yeah, I've been working all day. This is an 80, 85-year-old woman. I'm like, well, Grandma, what have you been doing? And then there's this pause, and she says, 
Well, in her, you know, Minnesotan accent, you know, well, don't you know? I've been setting up for Christmas, of course. I've been decorating for Christmas, of course. It's not every day that your grandma basically says to you, duh. And then she says this. It's still coming, you know. Christmas is still coming, you know. I just love how my grandma, this frail woman, speaks right into the face of death and says, that's not the end. I lost grandpa, but Christmas is still so real. And if there's any point, if there's any year that we need Christmas, maybe it's this year to be reminded that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Because the baby changes everything.